Also, this is our family promise week. And so uh, as we have done in the past to care well for our guests, those who would otherwise be without homes or food during the week, we want to take good care of them. We have a number of of, uh, slots still left for people to help in terms of uh, meals perhaps and spending the night and just uh, being here. And so if you haven't signed up to help with that and you're able to do that, uh, you can sign up today. I'm sure Jonathan and Jennifer are there and they'll help you with that or call the church office. So please, please do that. We want to make certain that uh, they see the hospitality of our Lord Jesus uh, through us. So let's make sure of that. As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to, to pray. To pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray now as we come to this, which is your very word, that we would listen well. That we would heed this word, take it to heart, all that's here. For you intend it for your glory and even for our blessing, our good. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Malachi in chapter 2, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 9. Malachi chapter 2, please. To hear the word of God. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your Instruction. Now, as I begin, let me say this. I have a certain discomfort uh, with this passage. Uh, God uh, calls priests, and this seems to uh, apply directly to priests, but frankly also to pastors, this priestly function. Uh, that God calls these ones to in the Old Testament is to be mediators, really, to build a bridge between the people and God so that they can, they can meet. There's something that keeps them apart. And so God calls these priests, and he uses them first to make sacrifice of an unblemished animal. 
That is an animal that has no reason to die other than God has appointed that one to die on behalf of the blemished worshiper, the blemished offender. And so he makes sacrifice these priests atonement really so that God and sinful people can be brought together so that God's justice can be expressed in his condemnation, his punishment against sin in this animal standing for this sinful person. And that his love can be expressed as well because he won't take the life of the one who deserves to die, that is, this person. So it makes atonement. That's what these priests were to do, to mediate, to, to build this bridge, if you will, between God and humanity so that they could be joined together. They interceded for the people as well. That is, they prayed for them. And part of the temple ritual was incense, and that incense was to be the prayers, if you will, of the people. The priests would pray for the people. And not only that, they would teach them. It would be their job to teach the people uh, about God and his holiness and his love, them to people themselves about their sin and need for atonement and to, to teach them how it is that they were to live as forgiven people in the presence of God. They, they were to teach all of that and they were to do it faithfully in such a way that it would draw people to God, that their teaching would draw people to God, their teaching would, would, would cause people to desire to have their sins atoned for so they could be joined together uh, with God, reconciled to him. And they would desire then to live for him because they would see the greatness and the glory of God. And so that was the job of these priests now. You don't have priests like that in the same sense today. That is to say, there's no need to offer sacrifice. Jesus is our high priest, our great high priest. He's the sacrifice for us. He intercedes for us. Uh, he teaches us. But, but still, God uh, has called certain ones, pastors, in these days, uh, for a function like that, to point to Jesus as the one who is sacrificed and the one who has reconciled us to God. In some sense, we're all priests. As I mentioned during our offering time, the, the promise of God, even in the old covenant, that he was going to have for himself a holy nation that would be a group of, of people who were, who were priests. And we refer to that as the priesthood of all believers in the sense that we don't need a human intermediary other than Jesus, the God-man. He is that one. And so we, we ourselves can find ourselves by faith in the very presence of God, forgiven our sins, reconciled to him. And even as the church, we act for the world as, 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 as those who can pray for each other and pray for others and declare the excellencies of God in such a way that people will know Jesus and come to him and, and, and be reconciled to him. So as the church, we're that. But, but still, there are those in the midst of the church that God calls and, 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 and as pastors, uh, Paul knew this in a sense as himself himself as as an apostle a minister of christ for instance in romans 15 he puts it like this he says i myself verse 14 am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another but on some points i've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by god to be a minister of christ to the gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul uh, said 
about himself often that he was being poured out as a drink offering, sacrificial language, that he was making up in himself the afflictions, the sufferings that were lacking in Christ, meaning that in his ministry that he suffered, and he suffered in such a way that would take the gospel to people. And so that was a sacrifice, if you will. That was a priestly function to sacrifice in that way. And then to offer the Gentiles, these ones who had come to faith in Jesus, uh, uh, to God, a priestly function. So we, we see that happening there. Uh, we find, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the gifts given to the church, he says this, He, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of Christ, that is to bless them, uh, to bless the church. And, and Paul writes to Timothy as he lays out the structure of the church, and he says, That the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so we see this priestly function for all of us, but in some sense in the midst of the church as a pastor, thus my discomfort. Because this applies to me not only as a Christian, but as a pastor. And so as I do this, uh, I want you to be aware that I'm at least somewhat aware of my own failures. I spend a great deal of my life removing the dung from my face in confession and repentance. And so I know that, I think. But also this, as I lay this out, it may sound, because this is a a passage very critical of priests and even in our day should be heard, to pastors, it might sound as if I'm being critical in some sense, arrogant, even because I'm criticizing others. Please grant me the difficulty of walking through this as one to whom it applies, and yet one who still has the obligation to declare it. And as I do that, uh, know that this is of great, uh, deep, meaning to me personally, but also, I think, helpful to us uh, in the midst uh, of of the church. Uh, Because, you see, God takes the failure of these priests, and I think the failure of pastors in our day, he takes these failures very, very uh, seriously. Notice the curse that is on those who fail. And not just fail in the context of success, but fail in the context of faithfulness. They're unfaithful priests and unfaithful pastors. He says... I will curse, I will, I will send the curse upon you, that is the curse of the covenant upon you, rather than the blessings of the covenant. And, and here is how he lays them out for the priests in verse, verse 2. He says, I will curse your blessings. What does he mean by that? Well, first, in the context of being a priest, there were certain blessings of being a priest. God, God says, you don't need land. I will provide for you. And ancient Israel, the Levites didn't have land, and God provided for them. People brought them stuff, if you will, to enable them to live. And so he says, he says that will be your blessing. And, and now he's saying, I'll curse your blessings. If you're unfaithful in this work, I won't provide for you as, as I promised to provide. I'll curse those Blessings, the blessings that were to be yours, they will now be cursed. But not only that, one of the great privileges of the Old Testament priest was to pronounce blessings upon the people of God. The great blessing that the priest would pronounce upon the people that they would wear, if you will, the very name of God upon them. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was the privilege of the priest to pronounce upon the people. And God is essentially saying to them, that blessing that you pronounce on the people will now be cursed. That is, it won't be to their blessing, it will be to their demise. They won't be kept. There are enemies around them, both natural enemies as well as spiritual enemies. He says they won't be kept. Thus they won't be blessed. They won't know my favor, that good word upon them. They won't be kept. My face will not be upon them. When that blessing says, uh, may the Lord lift up his face upon you, may, may his countenance be upon you, that's a smiling countenance, that's a, that's a blessing face, that's a face you'd like to see if ever you could see it. That wouldn't be a frowning face, an angry face, that would be a, a face you'd say, yes, I want that. Who's ever behind that face, I want that face with me. That's a blessing face. He said, that won't be upon them. They won't know my presence. When, when the face of God is discussed in the scripture, it's his very presence. When he says, my face is with you, my face is upon you, my countenance is upon you. He says, my, they won't know my presence. They won't know my grace. They won't have peace. Their Sabbaths will be no rest to them. See, priests, you're to conduct in such a way that, that, that the Sabbath is rest for people, that they're, they're, they're able to stop and gaze upon God. And when they stop and gaze upon God, what they're able to see in that Sabbath is that God is ruling and reigning, and he's ruling and reigning in such a way that he's providing for his people, and in providing for his people, they can rest. They can know that all is right, and they're well, and God is ruling and reigning on their behalf. And that, that's rest, that's peace. And he says, that blessing will no longer be a blessing to the people of God. The people of God will be restless because of your feelings. That's the curse, he said. Not only that, he says this to them. He says, I'll rebuke your offspring. That is, it'll be generational. The, the ones that are to come from you, that are to be the priests, to be faithful and to bless, they will be cursed as well. They'll be rebuked. And then he says, I'll, spend, I'll, I'll spread dung on your faces the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Verse 9, he says, And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways. In other words, God is saying, when, priests, you make sacrifice, and you take all the stuff that nobody wants, all the stuff that isn't offered, all the stuff that doesn't go home with the one who's making, all the stuff that you take, and it's, 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 it's unclean. And so you have to take all of that, and you take it outside, and you put it aside where no one will go. And if anybody ever touches it, then they can't come in to worship because that's the unclean part. I'm going to take that unclean part, and I'm going to spread it on your faces so you'll be humiliated, humiliated and everyone will know that you don't represent me. And then you'll be removed because you can't stay in the presence of the people nor in my presence either. So God takes all of this, you see, very seriously. And the reason that he does, as you can notice in verse 4, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi 
may stand, says the Lord of hosts. See, all of this is so that the priest will repent. He says, I'm telling you this so that we can maintain this covenant, this covenant that I made with Levi, that is the son of Jacob, out of which the priests come. He says, I made a covenant with him and thus all his descendants after him. And the reason is because it's necessary to have Levi, to have that family, to have that tribe, to have that group in the people of God because they're to be a blessing to the people of God because they are to make sacrifice, atonement. They are to intercede. They are to teach. They're necessary in the midst of that for the blessing of the people because the end result of this is that the people will actually be saved. Notice in verse 6, he says, true instruction was in his mouth. It is of the faithful sons of Levi. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. You see, see, that's the whole purpose of this covenant with Levi so that the people of God would be turned away from their sin and turned to God in faith. That was the reason Levi existed. So that would be a means by which, through which, the people of God would be turned from their sins and turned to faith in God. That's how important they were. That's why God was so concerned. He says, if you're faithless, then nothing you do will be blessed by me. In fact, it'll have the opposite effect. It'll be cursed. And so I need you, Levites. I've called you, Levites. This is where you fit. And so now I'm calling you to repentance because I, we need to maintain this this covenant. And so Malachi as prophet comes to enforce this covenant. So what is this covenant with Levi? Well, we gain from this passage. What it is a covenant is always has two parties. And when we speak of a covenant that God makes, he's the initiator. He's the key actor in all of this. So he makes a covenant. So he calls the Levites to be mediators, to be bridge builders, if you will, to be priests. He calls them to be priests. And, and in, in so calling them uh, to be priests, uh, they're to pray, in addition to making sacrifices, and they're there to teach. And the end result is that he, he saves his people because, you see, this is a covenant that is one of life and peace. It's life and peace to the Levites, and it's life and peace through the Levites, right? They receive life and peace. As they're faithful to this covenant, they receive life and peace with God. If they're unfaith- unfaithful, they lose that. But through them is to come life and peace for the people as well. Peace with God, yes, by way of the sacrifices of atonement that they make. That brings peace between the people and God. As they intercede for the people, it brings peace and life for the people of God, as they teach them, the teaching that they receive is life to them and brings peace to them because they know God and they know, they know that he belongs to them. So this is that covenant, you see, of, of life and peace. This is the importance of it. And God, so God says, we need to, we really need to maintain this. And the responsibility then of the priests themselves he says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, verse 5, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. God says to the priest, what I require of you first and foremost is that you fear me, that you stand in awe of my name, that you know that I am great. I am the great king. 
I am the Lord of hosts. Everything does my bidding. I'm the Lord of hosts. Job knew this, you remember. A number of weeks ago, we worked our way through this book of Job. And Job saw the greatness of God. And he feared the Lord. He, he revered him. He, 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 he repented in dust and ashes because he knew who God was. And it's just that one little phrase from Job that, 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 that I, we, I think, ought to keep in our minds all the time. It's just that expression that when God says, where were you when I? It's just if you need to get a tattoo, get a, that should be it, all right? Where were you when I? And it tells us the greatness of God because we weren't when he was. Isaiah saw the greatness of God, the holiness of God. He went into the temple. He saw this vision of the temple. He saw this greatness of God and, and, the, and God was holy. The angels round about him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. Holy, other, there isn't anyone like him. His love is incomparable. His wisdom is incomparable. His power is No one can compare to the power of God. So no one is like him. He's holy. Isaiah saw himself and said, yes, all right. I I fear the Lord, if you will. I get it. I understand. I'm in awe of him. And what did he do? He he found himself on the grounds, realizing that he was a man of unclean lips and lived among a people of unclean lips. And yet his eyes, he said, had seen the glory of the Lord. And so there he was. He saw that. He says, priest, you're you're to see that. You're to know that you weren't when I was. You're, you're to realize my holiness, my, my greatness. And so verse 2, he says, in a sense, if you will not listen, if you will not take, take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord's, Lord of hosts, to lay it to heart, it would to listen to God. As part of this covenant, if you stand in awe of God, if you're going to represent him, priests, then you need to listen to him. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, when we, when we really fear God and we know his greatness and ours not, then we listen to him. His voice is the voice that we know that we need. Not our voice, not the voice of others, but we need his voice. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, once we come to that point, that's the beginning of wisdom. He says, so if you really fear me, you'll listen to me, and then you will give, you will take it to heart to give honor to my name. Uh, You will lay it to, to heart. By that he means this. My glory, my honor, God says, will be such importance to you that when I'm not glorified, when I'm not honored, you honored, you'll be distraught. You take it to heart. It isn't just that you know that I'm glorious. It isn't just that you can, you can even talk about that. The point is you take it to heart. That is to say, my glory, my honor, God says, means everything to you. And when I'm not glorified, when I'm not honored, you're, you're distraught. Remember, Daniel knew that some weeks ago. We, we thought of we, Daniel. And he looked at the sins of the people and he looked at the promises of God and he fasted and prayed. Why? Because he couldn't eat. Why? Because he was distraught. Why? Because God was being dishonored. 
says, priest, you need to live like that. Take to heart my honor. Ezra, the priest, on these days, had seen the sins of the people and he wept. Why? Because he knew that God was being dishonored by the people and that was deep within him. Because he had it in his heart, the very glory, the very glory of God. There was nothing weightier to Daniel, nothing weightier to Ezra than God himself. He would listen to no other voices. When God wasn't honored, they then would be would be destroyed. He goes on to say in this, this covenant that they were to walk with God. Notice verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. You see, the listening would lead them to, to know God. And, and, and this true instruction would be in their, in their lips. You remember where Joshua said he was to meditate on the word of God day and night, that this word was not to depart from his mouth. What that means is that it was always to be on his lips. It was never to be vacant. So, so when he spoke, it would be the word of God. Well, when people would think of these priests, they were to think of scripture, really. They were to think of Bible, really. They were to think of the truth of God. When the name of a priest would come to mind, what they would think about is, is, is the truth of God. This person, this man knows that. It isn't just that he, he knows that, he knows, he knows God because he walks with him. Notice, he says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. He, he walked with me. The, the, the path of righteousness was well known to priests, should have, should have been, you see. So this covenant with Levi was a covenant wherein God called certain ones to represent him to represent the people before him, to build this bridge to mediate so that people would come together, be reconciled to God by sacrifice, by prayer, by instruction. And to do that, they needed to fear God. They needed to be in awe of him. And that would mean they would listen to God. That, that would mean that his glory was in their very guts. It would mean that they would have true instruction to speak. It would mean that they would walk that they would walk with God. That was how were they to live. But sadly, they, they didn't. He said they didn't listen. They didn't take this to heart, his, his glory. And so the curse really came to them. There were other voices that were weightier than the voice of God to them. They listened to their culture. They listened to the people. Notice how it puts it in verse 9. And so I make you despise and evase before all people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. In other words, he said, priest, what you're doing is you're tempering, you're changing the message depending on the audience. Why would the priest, as we learned last Sunday, why would the priest accept blemished animals for sacrifice? Why would they accept a blind or lame animal for sacrifice when God said it was to be unblemished? The reason is it didn't make any difference at all to the priests. The meat was all the same, whether the animal was lame or not. Didn't matter to them. They got what they wanted out of the deal. And if they could get what they wanted out of the deal without making the worshiper too upset or make it to be too costly, 
then why not? It really didn't matter at all because they got what they wanted. And so they would say, oh, that's fine because it fit their purposes. Oh, that's fine because it satisfied them. That's fine because it met their needs. He says, oh, no. You don't fear the Lord. You're not sitting in awe of him. His glory is not what drives you. You're not listening to him. You don't know the true word. The true word is for a person to be right with God, their sins must be forgiven. For their sins to be forgiven, then another must die on their behalf because God is just and holy. And for another to to die on their behalf, it can't be the fault of the one who dies, only yours. So your sins must be transferred. Your guilt must be transferred to them, the unblemished one. That's the truth, but that wasn't, wasn't what they were teaching at all. And so the people were actually cursed. Why? They would not know the joy, the blessing of sins forgiven. Why? Because their sins weren't. Because God wasn't being followed. He wasn't being feared. He wasn't being listened to. He wasn't being honored. Thus, rather than many being turned from iniquity, notice how he puts it in verse 8. He says, but you, that is the priests, have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instructed instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of the Lord, says the Lord the Lord of hosts. See, the design of all of this was that the priests were to be a blessing to the people. They were to turn people from iniquity. They were to give the right instruction. You see, this right instruction to us, this word of God, is, is a means of God's grace to us. It's to be our very lives. You remember when Moses spoke to the people about their coming out of the wilderness, he said, he said, remember, this man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He says, that's real life to you. This truth brings life. That's why he could later say to them in summary, he says, these words are not idle words to you. These words are your life. That's why the prophet Hosea could say, my people perish. It is die. My people perish because of a lack of knowledge. They're perishing because they don't know that which is true. And the indictment in Hosea chapter 4 is on the priests because you're not telling them what's true. You're not doing that which is right and true. Thus, the people are dying. They're perishing because of you, priests. Under the New Testament, we find this word of God, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That's why this truth needs to be known. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, this truth, this scripture that you've known, Timothy, since you were a boy, made you wise unto salvation. You learned about salvation by way of this word. This very word will equip you in such a way that you'll be prepared, you'll be ready, you'll be equipped for every good work. That's the value of it. It needs to be taught. It needs to be out there. We need to be speaking truth. He's saying to these, to, these, to these priests, and it's the glory of God. It's the glory of God that is to be in their hearts, not their own glory, not their own comfort, not their own approval ratings, 
not their own status before the people, not their own prosperity, uh, not their own comfort, but what should drive them is the glory, the very glory of God. So now how should we react really to to all of this? Well, first this, I think. The Apostle James tells us that not many should be teachers. But then you see, as those in the church, we really, really must learn. We must learn that which God requires of pastors among us. We need to learn that. We need to learn that for a number of reasons. One is for many who go through our church, uh, university students especially, and things they, we must teach them is how to make a wise choice when they leave this place and go somewhere else. We need to teach them that. They need to know that so they walk into a church uh, that isn't a church. They know that. They can sense it. They know what is right and true, what should be coming uh, from the pulpit and should be coming from those who lead. The, they, need the, they need to learn that and to, to, really, know, to really know that. We, we need to learn that. I've been saying for more than 20 years now that pastors get old and die and need to be replaced. That's truer than when I first said it. And so from one generation to the next generation, and the reason that a church can go from one generation to the next generation is because the church is sensitive to these things and knows what it means in terms of pastors and teachers and leaders and all of that. Those must be men who lay to hearts the glory of God. Stand in awe of him. Listen. And walk in his ways. See, it's important for us because in the pastorate there's two kinds of failure, both known, well known. One is moral failure, known to the church uh, throughout the ages of pastors, leaders failing morally. Friday's edition of the Kansas City Star I had on its opening pages, and I don't get the Kansas City Star. It just happened on my driveway that day, Friday. I don't know, I guess, Providence. And the front page story was of a pastor in Kansas City area independence who had admitted to killing the husband of a woman with whom he had been having an affair for 10 years. It's all too common. Sins, moral failures. I could list them. You know them. Many of you have been affected by them. The second, though, this doesn't shock you, is a greater failure. And it's a failure of knowing and believing and teaching 
that which is true. The prophet Amos speaks to that. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That is a greater famine, if you will, than a a natural, a famine of nature. It's a famine of the word of God where people can't hear the truth, and if people can't hear the truth, then they cannot live because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. They might eat heartily and die an eternal death. But with the word of God, one may eat sparingly and to have eternal life. See, the greater danger, really, even in our day, I don't know, perhaps most especially in our day, is a famine of the word of God in churches, or at least buildings that refer to themselves as churches. It is no small thing when a pastor does not believe in the deity of Christ. It is no small thing when a pastor doesn't believe in the miracles of Jesus. It's no small thing when a pastor does not believe in the necessity of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It's no small thing when a pastor doesn't believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't, it's no small thing when a pastor doesn't believe in the ascension of Jesus and the ascension to uh, his throne in glory. It's no small thing when a pastor doesn't believe that he's ruling and reigning and will return. It's no small thing when a pastor doesn't believe that there is only one way really to the Father and that is through the Son. These are things which God despises. When a pastor does not believe them. And so when that's being taught, you see it isn't a church at all. And pastors teach that life can be taken before birth or after, but before birth and abortion. When a pastor teaches that sexual intimacy is a matter of our own preference and inclinations. And a pastor teaches that marriage is something that can be between two people of the same gender. It's hard even for me to say these things out loud from here. So you see, we must be very aware of these things. Now, if you've been hurt by the failure of pastors, please know God has been more hurt and will take up your hurt. He says very dramatic language that he will spread dung upon their faces and cast them out. Put them in a place where only that which is unclean is. 
You needn't hate them. God will take up your cause. So you see, we need to pray for pastors, for the glory of God and for the sake of our own souls. We need to pray for the pastors here at this church. No one is above temptation. We need to pray for the pastors in our community. We need to pray for pastors in the church, really throughout the world. If your children go to churches other than this one, because you're already praying for the pastors here. If your children go to churches other than this one, then you need to pray not only for your children in their churches, but you need to pray for the pastors of your children's churches. Because you see, they're in covenant with God to pray for your children, to teach them well. And so you need to, you need to pray for the pastors who influence your children. And we may need to make certain that from this place, this truth is always, always known. But there's one other application, and it is the key application to this whole passage. And the key application to this whole passage is that we should rejoice. How's that for a change of pace? Now, why is it that from this passage we should rejoice? And the answer is because we have a priest who meets all of these qualifications. And he is our priest, for he is Jesus. See, that's the very point of it. As through the Old Testament, you can read in Jeremiah chapter 23, having time, or Ezekiel chapter 34, where, where God says to the people, your priests, your shepherd, have failed you, therefore I will come. I will come. And I will bind up your broken heart. And I will feed you. And I will lead you. And I will protect you. I will be your high priest. I will be the one who will, who will be your sacrifice of atonement. I will be the one who intercedes for you. I will be the one who teaches you. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's that very one. He says, listen, I, I only tell you what I've heard the Father say. I've listened. I only do what I've seen the Father do. I walk in his ways. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door into which is my father, I am the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. You can trust me. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for uh, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son 
who has been made perfect forever. We have a high priest who's perfect. I mentioned last Sunday that those who lead in worship are prompters. Those who preach are simply pointers. Let's pray. Father, pray for me and for us that you would grant grace to us by giving to us pastors who fear you, whose guts are such that your glory is what drives them as they listen to you, walk with you. Know and teach and believe that which is true of you so that we would be saved, we'd be turned from iniquity, from our sin. Do you thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are that high priest. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your intercession. We thank you that even now you're defending us in glory against any accusation that may come. For you've dealt with our sin. We pray that we trust you, that we follow you, that we listen to you, that we walk with you. God, I pray that especially for those who are going through difficulty, we all know folks in this category, and so even now, Father, their names are running to our minds. People who need you, need to follow you. For Wanda Haney, as she ministers to her mom, for for David Hemberg, as he goes back to Afghanistan and and works in the dangerous part part of the world for Leah Kuhlman, who tragically lost her sister this week. For others who are struggling in our congregation with cancer, with financial need, with marital issues, with big decisions. Father, we pray that you would grant grace to them in such a way that they would find all the help they need by your word and through your power. Father, we do pray for pastors in our community. We pray for the pastors of the churches our children attend, our friends attend. Father, we pray if there are any who are hearing that which is false, God, they would leave those places. And they would find a place where the truth of Jesus is known, believed, taught lived. Father, I pray that you would enable us to live faithfully before you, forgive us our sins. And this we pray.